Hey everyone, Dan Lovar here and welcome to the New Net Podcast, the podcast where we talk to interesting people doing interesting things in and around PNG. Uh, today I'll be speaking to someone who has worked in the social justice space for many years and she's also the young ambassador for the UNFPA. So please make welcome Miss Bronwyn Killy. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, Bronwyn, it's very much a pleasure to have you here. We've tried to get you on the show for quite a while now, so we're very happy that uh, we've managed to catch Finally. you today. <laughs> Uh, so Bronwyn, for our listeners and uh, viewers who don't know who you are or are unfamiliar with uh, your work, uh, would you care to just uh, inform them on who you are and what it is you do? Okay. Um, so I think to sum it up, I just say I'm an advocate. Uh, um, I've been working in the advocacy space um, since I was 15. So, you know, that's 10 years because I'm 25 now. Um, so we mainly focus on issues such as sexual and reproductive health, um, women's issues, uh, gender-based violence, human rights. These are mainly like areas or topics that I focus on. Um, a lot of my work has been focused on raising awareness um, for people, but also advocating for actions um, from people from different sectors, you know, whether you're at the grassroots level, at the, you know, um, development space or at the government level, yeah. So this is sort of yeah what I do. Um, I do a lot of capacity building and for young people, capacity building is just a you know upskilling and training and stuff for young people as well. Um, young leaders, um, yeah. This is basically sums up what I do. Um, but now um, as young ambassador for UNFPA, I work um, on various projects within the organization so at UNFPA we have different projects like you know on peace building on reproductive health on GBV so all like um, my job there is to ensure that under each of these projects we're addressing um, the needs of young people um, that are linked to each of the issues that each project um, you know tries to address and across each of our project sites I have to ensure that I do checks to see where there are opportunities to support young people within our project and also what some of the needs are on the ground that we miss. So I also do like consultations with young people, try to understand their challenges um, and also some of their ideas on how we can improve different projects that um, help the community but also address their needs. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> That's probably the most dense introduction we've had from one of our guests. So. I'm glad to have someone who's uh, as experienced as you are as a guest today. I am, one question I do want to ask, since you've been in the space for so long, uh, have you noticed any changes in terms of uh, how the youth basically see their own issues? Yeah. In terms of how, how they see their issues as being important or their own understanding of you know, how, how important their own issues are to them and themselves and other youths? Yeah, um, well, I think, you know, in the past, when, when I was 15 and we were doing all these different activities, um, the focus was on, you know, give a voice to young people and give a voice to young people, you know? So, you know, social media just, you know, come about and we had Facebook and we had this stuff, but it was all about giving young people a voice because there were a lot of issues that we face uh, where we miss out the needs of young people. You know, that was that common push for that. Um, so over the years, I feel like we have some kind of recognition that it is important to have a youth voice um, and that we need to listen to the cries of young people. So now 
that we have that attention on young people and a lot of people saying you know youth empowerment let's that you know we need to empower young people we need to um, increase the knowledge and awareness we need to give them a voice now that we have that i think our next challenge is trying to get actual actions because you can bring mm. young people together to talk about different issues and to you know to give you their opinion on how you know we can address different issues you can consult them and you can give them that voice um but to what extent um and how far are you willing to go to have meaningful youth participation do you give them um do you actually take action to address the issues that they're calling mm -hmm. for you to address and um, if it's like within different organizations and you want to bring young people in to work in different organizations and I say organizations because you want youth participation not just within you know government but you also want that in you know maybe business or in different areas so if you're bringing young people in and you want to empower them how much power do you give them to mm -hmm. actually um, uh, let's say do things within that organization so say if you work on a project and you bring young people in are you willing to give them that trust that if they suggest things um, and if they um, push or suggest ideas or come up with innovation and stuff like that um, you're willing to you know listen and try it out because it comes with that as well so mm -hmm. in terms of getting the voice out there the recognition is there that you do need to include young people and that you need that they need to have a voice and have a say now we're at a point where now we need to look at the actions so that's kind of the next step so i think in terms of the voice we're sort of getting there um it's not equally balanced i guess in some areas people do listen to young people but it's not the same story when you go to the rural areas because and we have to say this because port moresby is not papua new guinea um so if you go to other provinces we still have the thing of you know um young people like we can we have this culture that we have to respect our elders mm. and we have to balance this and that and there are certain spaces young people can't take yet um and so that challenge is still there so in in rural areas that's not always like very visible young people being you know um able to participate actively that's not always like they don't have always have that space um and also um I guess, yeah, in rural areas, they don't always have that space. Um, but like also even in the city where people still are very vocal and, you know, we have Facebook and mm. social media, which kind of gives young people that space to air their, you know, issues. Um, we still don't have like formal platforms where people can like bring their mm. issues and then um, where people can actually, yeah, do something about what young people are saying. Oh man, yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense. I think that yeah. that bit about when you mentioned organizations and uh, hiring young people and if they're willing to listen to young people, I think yeah. that's that's definitely something I've uh, experienced in the past, where you you know when you join an organization and you approach them with a new idea and then there's like so much pushback yeah like whatever you suggest is oh this is how we've been doing it for years so yeah we'll trust this or we can, we'll, 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 con we'll consider what you're suggesting or yeah have there been instances of that happening mainly in your efforts or with uh, working with the youth yeah definitely like um <laughs> I, like I work in a space where you are supposed to empower young people, but that's not always been what I've experienced. Mm -hmm. You know, I've also experienced pushback in 
um, different organizations or different spaces where it's like, oh yeah, but you're young, so you're inexperienced. And I think when it comes to giving trust to young people, it's always people always consider that it's the inexperience that they feel mm-hmm. um, becomes like, I guess, a barrier. Um, it's always, you know, we've done this before and we know what we're talking about. Um, so I guess there's that gap and there needs to be that trust, intergenerational trust, I guess. And inter- and we have this, you know, a lot of people say we have an intergenerational gap. Um, but I think when you bridge that, like there's, and I'm not saying that you can't, like old, like wisdom from before mm-hmm. is not useful. It is. But imagine if you could combine that with the innovations of today. Um, I think we would get somewhere. So I think it also requires that trust. And I guess when we talk about youth empowerment and when we talk about youth engagement, um, you got to understand that it's more than just giving space to a young person. It's also about actively engaging them and allowing them Mm -hmm. to take lead um, in instances. And yes, there are going to be times when you're going to need to step in and provide that guidance, but that trust and faith in them is important as well so it is a challenge whether you're in the private sector whether you're in the development space or in government um for young people to kind of like take to to be given space or like that trust to lead and to come up with ideas that um will work for different things yeah oh yeah no i i completely agree i can only hope that it'll change over time at yeah. least hopefully the pushback will be less or yeah. I guess the more the more young people that are involved in uh, these working environments, the more open to yeah. the suggestions and ideas that these organizations will be over time. So I guess, yeah, no, that's just my biggest hope so far. Yeah, I think everyone should always have a succession plan, mm-hmm. you know. You should have a succession plan um, because when you leave, it's these young people who are going to take over. And if, mm-hmm. they, and if you haven't mentored them, if you haven't prepared them for their time, when, they, when it comes time for them to take over, will they be able to carry that vision forward? You know, It's the same for like, our forefathers had the vision mm-hmm. for our country. Um, then we have the national goals and directives. We have you know, a great constitution, one of the best in the world. But how well do our people understand the vision of our forefathers? How well do they understand the national goals and directives of this country? Do they understand Vision 2050 and what it entails? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you don't have a goal and if you don't have a vision or you don't have that common goal and vision, um, how do you know where to go? How do you know what you want to work towards? Um, and how are we sure that the vision that we, our forefathers have is what people are going to carry forward um, throughout the future and if it's actually what they still want. In relation to carrying things onto the future, um, last year, I think it was in November, yeah. uh, you guys organized a youth parliament. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, this is something that a lot of people probably either didn't hear or don't quite understand what that is. So, Bronwyn, yeah. If you could, could you just please explain to everyone sure, uh, sure. what a youth parliament is? Youth parliament. Um, youth parliament is a, basically a platform for young people to learn about different processes, ele- uh, political and electoral processes, um, about how to lobby or how to negotiate policy positions, about um, how to negotiate, about good governance, um, 
values are like transparency and things like that you know like and also to develop leadership skills as well um so we've at unfba we did youth parliaments in bougainville um initially like previously we did um a couple of youth parliaments in bougainville where we had the youth federation representatives um so the youth federation has a structure that goes right like they have representation from the provincial level and then the, the three different regions like mm. central south north in bougainville and then also like all the way down to like the district level um in bougainville so they have like these youth rep representatives that they voted and they formed the bougainville youth federation and then um so the during the youth parliament it's a one-week kind of program mm -hmm. where they go and they learn about political and electoral processes they learn about good governance um different values of leadership they learn about um they even do like mock parliament seatings where they have you know like a chair and um they they yeah they do things like that basically so initially that's what it was about it was about learning um so we had two in bougainville and then last year we decided to do one um in port mosby and bring in representatives from you know across the country mm -hmm. so we we have a lot of you uh, people working in the youth space who are doing amazing things in you know isipic in um morobe in places like bougainville in the highlands southern highlands hela goroka you know in places like simbu like all across the country there's everywhere you go you always find some amazing young people who are doing like different things um and so we decided to give like look through our youth network because we have a big youth network get um and identify representatives within our youth network but we also decided to open it up to the public to apply and so people applied um we did a selection and we had about a hundred or yeah oh, just wow. just over six more than 60 actually i think almost a hundred people participate in the youth parliament seating so saw so a few like kind of joined in virtually and whatnot but most of them mm -hmm. were like i think more than just over 60 or 70 were at apec house and we used the summit room um but this time we decided that it should not just be a platform for people to learn um, about these processes it should be a platform for us to push certain like issue or raise awareness on certain issues and because for this one we did it um at the, the spotlight initiative which focuses on gbv and sexual reproductive health mm. and these issues we decided to talk about these issues so we disc um we had the first two days were more like workshops and um sessions info sessions and then the next few days was how to build consensus and then we gave them like policy uh, everyone got like policy positions that are linked mm -hmm. to you know these different issues and the youth adolescent health policy and they would sit down and look at them and ref um, debate them those policy positions so you have like you start off with eight groups and at the end um, eight different like parties maybe political parties or 16 different political mm -hmm. parties um or and then they um it gets smaller and smaller until you have basically a government in opposition and then they come to one consensus so this is how we were teaching them to build consensus but basically we we did that yeah and during that we also launched a um youth network um platform mm -hmm. as well but i the idea was we give them information and they know what to do and we also practice pushing 
for some uh, for issues that are of concern to them. So they did a call to action at the end of the youth parliament, um, which we then take and we will give to the health department because this particular call to action also calls mm. for the youth adolescent health policy to be reviewed and for um, other issues um, that are linked to like, you know, the GBV inquiry and stuff like that. So instead of just using it as something that they will like learn from they actually also advocate at a higher level so now they're calling for actions um to address certain issues that they witnessed or they're working on or that is of concern to them so this is how we've sort of changed the youth parliament a little mm-hmm. um but yeah this is basically it it's learning this um it's learning um how these processes work the electoral processes about learning about governance also about international human rights treaties and how they link to png um and different policies and bills that we have so that's and then also having the opportunity to, to do like a mock city and, and learn to negotiate and these things which is very important for young people because i feel that um, if we are going to fight for space and for participation, we must be able to know how to participate meaningfully mm-hmm. in that space. And if we don't equip young people with um, the skills and the knowledge for how to do these things, then when they are given that space, they won't be able to fully and meaningfully participate like in those spaces. And then we just, we're just ticking a box. Mm-hmm. you know. And I think we should steer away from initiatives or i like activities where we're just ticking boxes we need people to be able to yeah to be empowered enough to participate meaningfully yeah i completely agree i think i think that's something that needs to be addressed more like just general knowledge on just how parliament works and yeah. all of that because uh you know youths being youths most times all they know or as per general knowledge from what they know of parliament is whenever there's a parliament seating and whenever you know something happens in the parliament and it, yeah. you know it makes the round it becomes viral and i yeah. think that's to for many young people that's all they know about parliament yeah. and how but they don't know the like the intricacies how it actually works yeah uh things like negotiating things like yeah. that just making decisions and how coming to a consensus and the actual processes yeah. and what the actual job of parliament is so I think that's an initiative like this is great. It's fantastic. Yeah. And like you said, uh, after, you know, the people in these positions now, after they go, who else, who's going to take up those positions? The yeah. youth now, like, yeah. who else will fill up that spot? Yeah, it provides that. And I mean, I think it's timely as well because we have the national general elections mm-hmm. this year. Um, we also had, um, we had people, uh, Transparency International that joined us um, as well to do sessions. And we also had um, the PNG Electoral Commission come and do sessions um, during the youth parliament. And I think it's, and I say timely because um, a lot of people also don't understand electoral processes, a lot of young mm-hmm. people, you know, how do you like register to vote? What do you do when you go to vote? Like what is, how, how does the actual flow of mm. the process work? And also, why should you vote? <laughs> you know, um, so I think it was t- it's timely as well. And because a lot of these young people are in the provinces, I guess it like for people in like Mendy or in in Tari, mm-hmm. um, at least they have the opportunity to go back to the networks and you know teach people how it works. And it's just started like the the new way we're doing the parliaments. I mean, it's just started, but 
it's it's something and it's I, um, the young people are excited to be able to learn about these processes and you know with the elections a lot of like young people who are 18 who are 18 years old like they can vote at this time so mm-hmm. you know it's important they understand how this process works oh, i might get these numbers wrong but i think youth represent at least 70 percent of the population right now I'm about 50 Okay, 50, yeah, about 50%. And like you said, <laughs> almost 50, um, yeah. most, a good number of them are eligible to vote yeah, yeah. this year. Pretty much. One question I wanted to ask you is um, moving towards more of the election side of things, with yeah. this year being the national general elections, uh, how much of an impact, or at least how much power, like realistically, in your opinion, do you think young people have in, in terms of like how their decision will affect maybe the next five years? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of young people have more power than they realize, to be honest. Um, I mean, for one, you have the numbers. Um, you have almost 50% of the population. Um, and you have the energy, you know. So a lot of times when you watch the campaigns that happen, it's mm-hmm. truckloads of young people going around. Um, and because you have the numbers, they need your votes. You know, your votes can actually have an impact in the kind of government we have in the next for the next five years. Um, and again, if you don't vote, that can also have an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, if you vote the wrong people, that also has an impact. If you invest your time in the wrong places, especially during the election period, which is also a dangerous period, it could also have an impact. So I think... Um, people don't realize but young people have a lot of power they have um, because of all these different factors as well um this year and in this particular for this particular generation um you also like a lot of people are more aware like especially even in the urban areas where you can have access to facebook and mm-hmm. stuff um i think it shouldn't be easy to fool young people because you're aware of the issues that are happening around you. Um, you're aware of the challenges you face and what is addressed and what is not addressed and what is prioritized and what is not prioritized, especially for those who have access to Facebook, which is you know just a small percentage. Um, of course, for young people in the rural areas, that's still a challenge, but people like you know with education, with more education than before, people are a bit more aware of Mm -hmm. the issues um, that they face at hand. So I think um, that also should inform how you vote and what you decide to vote. Like what what type of um, leaders you decide to vote Mm. in. Yeah, and stuff like that. But I think we have a lot more power than we realize. Yeah. Oh, that's very good to hear. (laughs) I think in relation to what you mentioned about how social media plays a role, I think we spoke to... One of our earliest guests, I think it was uh, Bethany Harriman. Mm-hmm. We, we spoke uh, specifically on elections, I think, during that interview. And I asked him how much of an impact social media would have on this year's elections. And then he pointed out that, like, I think the past two elections, yeah, uh, social media was just getting into PNG. But yeah. now we've reached the point where a lot of young people have access to social media and yeah. their ideas and their opinions aren't necessarily shaped by it but it can help them shape their own opinions and ideas especially about candidates 
yeah. uh, I won't name any names, but uh, things have happened really recently in politics, mm. and uh, ca- certain candidates have been involved in certain things, and now young people are becoming more vocal and about how they feel about these candidates because yeah, now yeah. everything is on social media they're not waiting for uh, tomorrow's newspaper to tell <laughs> yeah. them what happened to this candidate now everybody's following the story live yeah. so i think that's one of the major differences about especially this year's general elections yeah. where now young people can properly follow properly check and vet who they're voting for yes pretty much i mean a lot of candidates are on social media as mm. well so it's also um, yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of screening people's walls uh, or what people are saying. Um, and of course, you know, people say not everything that's on social media is true, but mm-hmm. it does um, impact and it does shape people's views of different individuals and leaders. So, yeah, I do think social media has will like the impact on elections. I think it'll be actually, I mean, interesting as someone mm-hmm. who studies. I want I do a lot of media uh, monitoring of like, you know, social media news and stuff like that. So I think that it will be interesting to see how social media impacts these elections yeah yeah no it's gonna be an interesting time well i'm just waiting for the all the you know the posts where we know we know what they're trying to do like they're <laughs> trying to sway opinions and all that so that's gonna be an interesting period yeah. to deal with now uh Bronwyn, with someone who as yourself who's worked in the youth space for about 10 years more than 10 years would you say yeah, about 10 years about 10 years <laughs> uh, of course you've had to deal with or you've uh, advocated for a lot of youth issues yeah um just to i'd I'd, I'd hate to ask you to boil it down but uh (laughs) with all the youth issues that you've worked with or worked to trying to address and build awareness for um what youth issues would you like the i guess the government depending on what happens this year the government for the next five years what issues would you like them to at least do more in addressing yeah oh <laughs> i know it's a big question <laughs> yeah it is um well for starters i think education is important um i believe this even more when i go out like to the provinces and i see um like i meet different people i believe that i mean we need to increase our literacy rate you know we have a very low literacy rate um in the country and i think that also impacts a lot of things um but i think like basic education basic needs of like you know knowing how to read and write and stuff that that goes a long way um so when i talk about education i'm I'm mainly i'm talking about increasing the literacy rate Mm -hmm. that um and also education that sort of prepares young people not just to go into like say get a degree and you know find an employer Mm -hmm. you know education that equips them to survive in this world you know if they want to become an entrepreneur and they decide to be like you know take that path um i think we're so we have like and this is not just here but like we have a system where we are so fixated on oh we need to you know i need to go to prep then primary school and then high school and then like i go to uni and if i and get a degree i get a job put food on my table and bam that's it you know that's and i mean it sounds very bleak and i remember like when i was you know in high school and i was thinking about it i was like i want my life to mean more than that you know we could have education that encourages innovation you know people to invent things to create things that encourages creativity that encourages arts um all these different untapped you know sectors you know that 
invest in building like a film industry things like that you know i think that um it would be good to really revamp our education system you know and also how people yeah i think that but i think also begin like to begin with just we need to improve the literacy rates in the country it's it's very important i think that's something um that we need to look at the second thing that is very close to my heart is um and you know it's also linked to my job now um i think investing in health um and i'm not Mm -hmm. just talking basic health services but sexual and reproductive health and sexual reproductive health or or csc which is comprehensive sexuality education that looks at the well-being of young people that looks at um teaching young people how to look after their bodies teaching how young people how to make um, equipping them with information that helps them to make healthy choices um teaching them creative critical thinking creative thinking skills um uh and you know that things that help with decision making mm-hmm. as young people as they grow and as they navigate this you know challenging times even talking about family planning you know family planning is not you know a lot of people say oh if you talk about family planning you're giving condoms out to people and you know they that encourages sex you know but family planning is about how to plan your future you know at what time will you be ready mm-hmm. and how do you yeah things like that um learning about how your reproductive organ health organs work because in a lot teenage pregnancy in this country is the rates are very high mm-hmm. and if you go like one of the things that really like one of the stories that really break like broke my heart um as i was traveling um was coming to places where you hear of young people your young girls teenagers as you know as young as 12 um as young as you know 13 14 15 given birth on the side of a beach you know just mm. because they don't want to go to a hospital and give birth because of course discrimination but young you know teenagers getting pregnant um because they don't know that you can get pregnant from you know having sex mm-hmm. um or they don't have the proper information about how to prevent pregnancy and so they get pregnant and then you have young girls who are you know practicing unsafe abortions or going to you know the side of a beach and just giving birth and like leaving the baby there or hiding somewhere and that's that's an unattend like that's an unattended birth that's just someone giving birth without supervision from like a registered you know midwife and that's very dangerous um but that happens and like i say this particular story of this girl because it happens so frequently outside and a lot of us don't want to talk about um reproductive health because you know it's taboo or it's mm. you know it's not something we talk about openly but however way you find it i think we need to invest in education that also teaches that but of course that comes back to parents as well you know what they're willing to allow um their kids to learn but i think investing in that or even um and that that also includes counseling services for young people where they can go and get information they can get counseling that is um that is sensitive and that is private mm-hmm. <laughs> that is safe where they don't feel pressured where they feel safe and comfortable getting information um support services for like these counseling services are also important because 
a lot of young people also grow up in a society where they're vulnerable to GBV, to um, physical violence, but also sexual abuse and sexual violence, and it affects them in their education and their, you know, the development as young people. We have a lot of um, young people who are experiencing abuse, who experience mm. um, these things, but they don't have anywhere to go, and we don't have systems in place where they ha they can go to, you know, in their school, find someone who can support them. Um, so even just investing in pro like the you know the the support services for GBV that and ensuring that you also have youth friendly services that helps young people. Mm. One thing you need to remember when you think about youth issues is that they're not separate; they're part of bigger issues. So if you address health and then you ensure that you also address the needs of young people, that that covers that. If you address GBV, you and you ensure that you also address um, services that are for young people or that are sensitive for young people, then you address that, you know. So youth issues are mainstreamed across all things. When you talk about unemployment, that also mm -hmm. links to youth, yeah. So that's one thing. That's the health part of it. Um, I think those are the two that, like, I find, like, very important, the education part of it and also the, yeah, the health mm. side of things. I think that's something that we really need to invest in. Um in this country yeah oh man you know, those are really <laughs> those are very big topics and very big issues that need to be addressed yeah. and i feel like it's one of those things where it really needs to be addressed because this is affecting the youth yeah. and then over time this youth are going to be in charge of the country and we have to look after yeah. the young people now and i think one more thing if i can add mm -hmm. is um, civic education is very important as well and talk, talking about you know like and just talking about the constitution our history mm -hmm. the national goals and directive principles um, and you know all these processes how does voting work how does political processes work these kinds of things also very important so education and we, um, we talk about education um, and that should also include this kind of education yeah you know, that actually, yes. Yeah. In relation <laughs> to all the awareness for elections and all that, yes, civic yes. education is also very important. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I was saying, this this is very important. I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I just don't understand why the people in power don't, how well, it, it seems like they don't <laughs> view youth issues as something that needs to be addressed, even though, yeah. like, like I was saying earlier, that these are the people who are going to be in charge after they go. Yeah. So to me, I don't know, sometimes... It just, to me, it doesn't make sense that they're not uh, paying attention to this or at least trying to or attempting to mm. solve think, these issues. And this is a problem that um, we don't just face in Papua New Guinea. It's, mm. you know, across the across the globe. Um, just people are now starting to understand there's something you need to include. Um, but in order for us to address them, you need actual meaningful youth engagement. And that brings me back to ensuring that when these platforms are there for you to consult young people, that you are listening to what they're saying and you're willing to give the space and trust for them to also contribute now uh, in relation to the issues we just spoke about uh, uh, one question I have is hypothetically if you were in a position to effectively solve at least one of the issues we, we've just uh, or you've just listed down yeah uh, which one do you think would be like the priority as in as soon as you had these resources or uh, the power, the manpower, whatever it is, as soon as you had whatever it needs to solve it, you'd get it solved immediately or as soon as you can. Yeah. Oof. 
I think education, I would say. Um, and, and I know it's such a basic answer. What do you want to address? Education. <laughs> but it covers a ra- wide range of things. Because if you invest in education, like I said, you know, we're talking about the literacy rate, but also looking at how we can make our education education system one that doesn't just prepare people to go and work for an organization, but also one that encourages innovation and entrepreneurship and creativity and teaches people how to survive. And I think if you want to deal with, when you talk about health, when you talk about um, all these other things, um, when you talk about um, GBV and stuff, like there is always that education component you know when you talk about like a bulk of prevention for gbv and stuff is education and through education you can inspire people education in um includes inspiring people um empowering people um and motivating them as well so it's education but one that encompasses all these different things as well and upskills them and prepares them to survive same here hypothetically if i was in the same position (laughs) i'd invest in education as well i think because there's so many examples of countries around the world where you know the economy is doing well the superpower now and the story goes back to yeah because the government invested (laughs) in education that's why that's why the country is doing so much better and i think like i mentioned earlier it's one of those things where i don't understand or i can't see why you know people in those positions aren't focusing on addressing something like education and i think it's also but like i said very clearly like you know it's that um the system must change the system must be one that is suitable for this time yeah so it's addressing like investing in education can address so much as well now bronwyn uh kind of uh, sidelining uh (laughs) the topic and changing topics a bit we're coming to the end of the uh, podcast interview now but uh uh, a couple weeks back or a couple interviews back I spoke to a, a mutual friend of ours Solly oh yes yes uh, and we spoke Solly. about yes yeah. <laughs> uh, we spoke on the topic of uh, mental health yeah and how that's also another issue that's not very much addressed yeah in terms of like especially with young people and other issues they deal with now because of you know social media and how it's a new thing and how it affects their brain chemistry and yeah all of that it's such a new topic and such a heavy field as well but in the process of talking to him, he also highlighted that um, in his line of work or in the things that he's been involved with, uh, it can tend to have a weight or affect him in a certain way. Like when you're dealing with issues mm. and like you mentioned earlier about how when you travel out and you hear all these stories. Yeah. And uh, I think I share a similar experience. I was a journalist for a couple of years or a year or two. And same here. I would report on stories and most times they weren't good stories they were always like tragedies or something bad happened or it was always bad news and it did have an effect on me so i can only imagine which is why i wanted to ask you as someone who's been in this field for so long and (laughs) have there been times where the work has uh i guess weighed a bit heavily on you oh absolutely yeah i have a therapist (laughs) i've done i mean okay i don't have one specific therapist but i go for counseling from time to time because i have to um it's healthy to do it um it's something i'm not ashamed to like to talk about like sometimes we work in areas where we witness um we witness we work with you know survivors of gbv you know i've worked with a couple of young people who um you know like rape cases you know when you 
when you see that when you work with people who come from a conflict area like you know like the place where there's tribal fighting and you listen to the stories and the things that they go through that makes that's hard as well and also because for me as a young person sometimes it triggers experiences that i've had as a young person you know i didn't just wake up one day and end up in the gbp space i also am a survivor of abuse you know i've experienced abuse as well as a child um and some of the challenges that we talk about it's things that i have also witnessed and experienced so even as a young person like when i was you know a teenager i needed to do counseling as well and i needed to check my mental health because it was important so i do think mental health is a very um is an issue that best is um must be addressed it's very close to me because i've had friends who um um have struggled with depression and experienced it i've also had my struggles with depression as well and i've also had to you know i've had my suicidal phase and i've had you know these different um uh, breakdowns and things like that you know and that's very like i say it out now because it's it's normal because i realize over the years that a lot of people that i meet also face that um one thing that i learned from <laughs> i was speaking to a counselor once um and i think I, something happened and i was like i witnessed mm. something and i was traumatized so i couldn't like um I couldn't like focus. I couldn't sleep um for several nights because I would like see and hear these voices um and then I would um yeah, I just I struggled. I couldn't even get back. Like my body was just tense and in fight or flight mode, you know. So I needed to do um counseling to address that. Um and also address, you know, the things that it triggered and the memories it triggered. Um but I was talking to this counselor and she told me that even the greatest leaders in this world including Obama and you know um some of uh, Oprah and all these you know um like people mm-hmm. that everyone looks up to they have counselors they have therapists and that's because they they need that place where they can go and have an outlet and they can have that um space where they can offload these things because um we carry so much and i think as well for a lot of young people like when you grow up in a society where violence and abuse is just like common you know you sit down and you look across and your neighbors getting like beaten up so mm. badly in the most horrific way but there is nothing you can do and you feel helpless because you're one person and everyone else doesn't do anything about it so you feel that helplessness as you witness it and you're also like horrified at how these things are you feel all those emotions but you don't do anything about it and it stays with you for years i remember kids who watched their their parents get like their mothers get beaten mm-hmm. up you know we had a the case recently where you saw the woman who was hit with an iron you know in front of her children and you could hear them screaming um and for a lot of people they couldn't watch that video because it was horrific like oh my gosh i'm not going to watch it like i but for these kids and for a lot of children around the country they get to they have to see that every day they have to see that more frequently they have no choice they will witness it and it stays with them and we don't have 
um, services or support um, in a way where they can actually go for that counseling. So when they grow up as young people, of course it affects them. I mean, you don't think something like that is going to mess people up. Mm. So it's just different things. It's even, you know, sometimes family pressure, family challenges. Every, every family has its challenges and its, you know, traumas and stuff like that. Um, it's people who experience, you know, kids who are raped as kids, you know. So a lot of young people that we meet, they are carrying this. They're carrying this trauma. They're carrying these experiences and this, um, and like, yeah, all of this stuff. And when we don't have services where they can actually go and talk to someone and address it, then it becomes a problem and it still affects people in their adult life. And so, yes, it's something that has been heavy for me because I have to talk to people about it, but also because I'm someone who had traumatic experiences as a child. And one thing I've learned um, was that for the ones that I didn't acknowledge and refuse to deal with, mm-hmm. they affected me when I was like I, 20, like early 20s, like 21, 22. That's when I started, like it started to come out. You know, you'd have like, oh, I'd have my anxiety attacks and stuff like that. Um, so I've, I think that it's something that we must talk about, but also I think that every one of us, because we don't have these services, every one of us has that responsibility if we want to bring that change to create spaces where our friends and our loved ones can feel that they can come and offload this trauma or talk about it or even not just offload i think that's very heavy but just talk about things that are bothering them and that are on their mind with and that you can listen and that they would be heard and they would you know people can listen to them and not judge them in a space that's safe or even if you know that there are counseling services like we have the one talk counseling line which is very um very useful mm-hmm. um you can call them and have a chat you know there is no shame in reaching out for help there is no shame shame in getting a counselor or you know a therapist (laughs) even so i have had to do that as well so yeah and it's been very helpful well i guess yes that brings us to the end of the podcast interview uh i can't remember where i heard this but must have been a couple weeks ago but i overheard a quote from somewhere that said that there's nothing more powerful than motivated young people Absolutely. And I think that's something, that's a message that we should definitely get across, especially this year with how things are going to turn out. We don't know how they're going to turn out yet, but yeah. there's nothing more powerful than a motivated young person. Because I think one of the points that was brought up was uh, they have time and energy. Yeah, That's one thing that youth and all us young people have more over everyone else. Yes. And I think that's one of the best. That's uh, your privilege. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But yes, Bronwyn, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. I am really excited to be here. And that has been the New Net Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We will catch you in the next one.